Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you today? I pray that you're well. I'm happy that we can be together. You know, every day that God gives us breath, another day to love Him, another day to grow in Him, another day to love those He's given us, our families, spouses, children, friends, enemies, co-workers, everybody, everyone. Every single day we begin again. And... um It's never, ever, 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 ever too late. It's never too late to begin again. Unless we die, then it's too late. But as long as we have life and breath, it is never too late to turn to God, Um, never too late to apologize to someone, to give forgiveness, to ask forgiveness, um, to ask forgiveness of someone who hasn't forgiven you, whatever it may be. It's never, ever, ever too late. Nothing is too late. Never to be saved. It's never too late. As long as we have breath. As long as we have breath. Um, Yesterday, we had a question which I promised I would go into in more detail today uh, from Kathy. And we answered it yesterday in brief. Um, Kathy wrote, um, A priest told us that being in a state of grace requires us to make an act of perfect contrition. What is an act of perfect contrition, and how do I make one? Well, being in a state of grace is to be forgiven for your sins, and especially mortal sins, that mortal means death, that separate us from God. And um, uh, it's um, an act of perfect contrition is not... um, how do I say easy uh, for for most of us uh, to be able to make? We need. I'm going to. I'm going to read you what that is. I read it yesterday. It's the normal act of contrition, but it contains five elements that many of us don't know or think about um, that would be required if we could not get to confession. But as long as we can get to confession, and we do. Uh, with a firm purpose of amendment, any time you go to confession, um, if you're in grave sin and or any sin at all, and you don't have a firm purpose of amendment to turn from it, whether or not you succeed, you need to have a firm purpose of amendment in your heart to not continue that sin. Otherwise, your confession would be a sham. It won't count if you're going to continue, if you're living with someone outside of a proper marriage um, you're intimate, and uh, you go to confession, and you go back uh, to what is your home together, and you continue to live together, that confession means nothing. And you don't receive the absolution and grace of that confession unless you turn from your sin. But um, you can always go to confession and be absolved, even if it's not an absolutely perfect confession with perfect godly sorrow. If you are sorry and you do have a purpose, firm purpose of amendment for, to turn from it, even if you fail down the road, but when you go to confession, you intend to not return to that sin again 
um, the flesh is weak, uh, and and often we do turn a uh, return to certain sins, but we don't intend to when we go to confession, and we're forgiven. But the act of perfect contrition um, is required for those who cannot get to confession, who are in some kind of foxhole, um, uh, uh, speak so, so to speak. We don't have to be in the war, but we're not able to get to uh, confession for some reason, and we've committed a mortal sin. We need to have an act of perfect contrition. And I'm reading now from um, the Catholic First website, and um, it's it says the act of contrition is found in the small catechism of the Catholic religion by Bishop John Neumann of the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer. He was the fourth bishop of Philadelphia, um, and um, uh, it was actually given in 1884. I want to tell you, it is today's confession. It's not out of date. It's not old. It's ever new. It's not passé. This is the confession, the traditional confession that we say. There's a newer version of it that's perfectly fine, but this is the older version that most who are in the older traditional form of the Mass, will say, O my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended Thee, and I detest all my sins, because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most of all, because they offend Thee, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love. I firmly resolve, with the help of Thy grace, to confess my sins, to do penance, and to amend my life. Amen. Now, when I first read that, having been a fairly new convert into the Catholic Church from evangelical Protestantism, from my Jewish background, I didn't like this form of confession. I, I, I liked the newer form. Um, uh, because it says, um, I detest all my sins, which is true. I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. Well, I did not dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell at the time. I don't want to go to hell. I I certainly would dread the loss of heaven. But I was so confident in the once saved, always saved, false doctrine of Protestantism. Not every Protestant denomination, but most, believe that you cannot lose your salvation that I didn't dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, and I didn't want to say this act of contrition. I do say it now, because it's right to have a proper fear of hell and a proper fear of the loss of heaven. And in fact, can we lose our salvation? Let me say it this way. We cannot, for this reason, that salvation is a process whom God called those he justified, whom he justified, Romans chapter 8, he sanctified, whom he sanctified, he glorified. I think I may have missed a step. It's Romans chapter 8, um, verse 29. And um, we, that is the process of salvation. But in, in uh, Protestantism, in most forms of Protestantism, um, non-Catholic so-called Christianity, um, the belief is once you're called, once you're saved, once you ask Jesus into your heart or however you commit your life to him, that is forever, forever, forever. And nothing, 
not not the devil, no one can separate you from the love of God. And that's also true. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No power on earth or under the earth except ourselves who have been given free will to choose to love God or to leave him. If, if we had no choice, then we'd be robots. And God gave us a choice. That's why Adam and Eve had the freedom uh, to turn from God in the garden, because they had free will. They had the choice to obey God or to disobey God. Why did they plunge the whole human race into sin? Because they ate an apple. The apple didn't cause them to die. But their free will to choose to turn from God, to believe a lie, and to turn from God and his word and his truth and his life. That's what it means to sin mortally, to make that choice and to not repent. And so when we are called, we are justified before God. We are made right by the shed blood of the Lamb and we are sanctified and the entire and we are holy at that point. Holy doesn't mean perfect. It means being set apart. We are set apart from, uh, f- from the world to God. We are holy. And the whole of our Christian life is becoming what we are. We are holy before God in that it's not that we never sin again, but we are separated from, from the world. And we are growing in sanctification, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be cleansed. Um, And that is the whole process of salvation on this earth is growing in union with God, growing in the nurture and the grace of God, in the grace, uh, the sanctifying grace, becoming like Christ until that day, please God, when we shall awaken his likeness. So when we die in a state of grace, we don't lose that state, or if we've lost it through... um, through a sincere, godly repentance and contrition through a priest, we are restored to God. Um, Now, if we die in that state of grace, whom he has um, called, whom he has justified, he has sanctified, and then finally glorified. Now, if we die in a state of grace, but we still have sin on our soul, or we still have the temporal effects of sin, that's a whole other little talk, um, then God has given us the absolute gift, 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 gift of purgatory. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I am convinced that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. If it's not perfected through our self, uh, through our lack, through our self-will to not follow God on earth, then he gives us purgatory if we die in a state of grace where God completes the work and cleans us up, where he completes the work in us that we've begun, and then we can go on to heaven. And once in heaven, then we're saved. Once saved, always saved. The Apostle Peter says, now is our salvation nearer than what it was before. Once we are finally saved, the final state of sanctification. We cannot lose that. That's why the Catholic Church teaches. 
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Hi, this is Jim Wright, President of the Station of the Cross. Our 2020 Spring Appeal is officially underway. Please consider a sacrificial donation to help us spread the gospel. The theme of our appeal is Changing Lives in 2020. In the coming weeks, you may receive a mailing that shows the great gifts you can receive as a Spring Appeal donor. You can also view the gifts by visiting thestationofthecross.com. Your generosity will help us develop our programming, expand our outreach efforts, and continue to grow. To support our mission, please call 1-877-711-8500, or go to thestationofthecross.com. Use the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or use a return envelope from one of our mailings. Your support will change lives in your community and beyond. Thank you, and may God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. And we, I promised yesterday that we would spend this beginning time. I will take a little break from the Sermon of St. Francis de Sales for Lent, and I would take a bit of time to respond more fully to the question, um, what is an act of perfect contrition and how do I make one? Um, and so... Um, I was, um, uh, we were talking about uh, whether or not we can lose our salvation. And we cannot lose our salvation once we have it, but we don't really have it ultimately fully, um, non-reversibly, until we're in heaven. And until then, we're in the process of salvation. I said just before the break, St. Peter's words, now are we nearer. Uh, to salvation than we were yesterday, than we were two minutes ago, if we haven't turned from God. So we're closer, and we can have a moral assurance that if we don't turn from God, we will be in heaven. But we don't know that we'll not turn from him. Uh, Apostle Paul writes, be careful when you stand, le- when you think you stand, lest you fall. We We always have to be on our guard because we can fall. So when we do... If we fall mortally, uh, which is uh, the the sin that separates us from God, 
any sin that separate any very grave sin that separates us from God. And again, as a Catholic, there's three requirements for a sin to be mortal. Number one, it must be very grave, um, such as murder, uh, a certain theft, even gossip could be mortal. Um, living in an immoral situation that is out of wedlock with anybody and living outside of a, a true marriage, which is between a man and a woman, um, though lying, those that, that can ruin somebody's reputation. Uh, grave, so it has to be grave. Secondly, we need to know that it's grave, that it's very serious. And thirdly, we need to commit it by an act of our free will, not under coercion, not because we have a gun pointed to us or we're completely out of it with drugs and all of that. So um, uh, we need to, it has to be grave. We need to know it's grave and we need to have the freedom to commit it of our own free will. Then it's mortal. Then we separate ourselves from God. And there's no salvation at that point. Just a, 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 a um, if we just say, sorry, God, I won't do it again, or whatever it is, that won't do it. We must go to a priest. We must be absolved um, by God through a priest. Um, we, that must happen. Now, if we cannot get to confession with a priest then the act of perfect contrition would be required in order for us to be saved. And um, uh, let's see now. Um, the, the act of contrition, I'll read it again. Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most of all because they offend thee, my God, who art all good and deserving of all my love. I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace to confess my sins, to do penance, and to amend my life. Amen. And the, um, uh, the um, uh, rest of the uh, presentation here on the website of catholicfirst.com says, since this form of the act of contrition incorporates all the elements of the act of perfect contrition, he says, I urge all of you, one and all, to memorize and use this act of contrition. There are five qualities or elements that must be in the act of perfect contrition. Whether they are in the form of the contrition or not, they must be present. Sometimes, beloved, I go uh, to uh, confession. I don't go just go. Sometimes I go regularly, but um, sometimes I'm, my mind goes blank and I forget the whole form of. But I still uh, have the elements of contrition in my contrition. It doesn't have to be word for word memorized, but the elements need to be there. Hence, you see, this one says, why I insist on the above wording. It's flawless, and it incorporates all the five qualities of the act of perfect contrition. Again, you don't worry, but you know what? If you have this act of contrition, you can write it out, and you can take it to the confessional with you and read it. It doesn't mean you're less sincere. Some confessionals have it on a little frame uh, on your side of the confessional so that you can read it so you don't have to be burdened with remembering it, but the assumption is it's what your heart means. Um, uh, and it says, by the way, name the contrition properly. It is an act 
of perfect contrition, not a perfect act of contrition. It's an act of perfect contrition, and it includes your interior, supernatural, universal, supreme, and intense. And, and this is the explanation for each one. I hope we can get through it before the break. Interior. What do we mean when we say that the act of perfect contrition must be interior? We mean that it is an act, it, 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 it is an interior act of the mind and will, not just exterior, not just something recited, but interior. We mean it. When the priest says his divine office correctly, but with distractions, hopefully not intended, he fulfills his obligation that the law imposes on him. If while you confer the sacrament of baptism, you say the words carefully with the intention to baptize as the church baptizes, you confer the sacrament even though you had distractions during the rite. The act of contrition does not work as, listen to this, the act of contrition does not work as the above cases. It is something even independent of spoken words. The mind and heart must determine everything that is said in the above form of contrition. The mere perfect recitation of the form, as one says his prayers, is not sufficient. So you don't, you can't just have the intention to make a perfect act of contrition. It needs to be from the heart. True godly sorrow, St. Paul says. It needs to be supernatural. There are many elements or divisions in this quality. The act of contrition must be supernatural as to the power with which it is performed. It must be made under the influence of actual grace. Actual grace, because apart from God, beloved, we can do nothing. Actual grace is the supernatural assistance that enlightens the mind to know the will of God and strengthens the will to do the will of God. Hence, before starting the act of contrition, it is good, and I encourage you to do so, to ask for this special grace. Without it, the act of contrition is useless. Secondly, the act must be supernatural as to motive. Here we have two motives. The inferior motive is imperfect contrition, has to do with the dread of the lost of heaven and the pains of hell. The superior motive, which is perfect contrition, has to do with the fact that we have offended God who is all good. Together with the sacraments of baptism and penance, the inferior motive, that is, fearing the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, is sufficient for forgiveness of all sins. That's sufficient. However, outside of the sacraments, only the superior motive, that is, being sorry for having offended God who is all good, will suffice for the forgiveness of sins. You see, beloved, you go to confession uh, with a priest and you don't have perfect contrition. You don't have a perfect um, superior motive for having offended God, but you do have an inferior, lesser motive um, of, of the loss of heaven and you say you're sorry for that. You will be forgiven. But if you cannot get to heaven, the superior motive, which is... Um, which is uh, having offended God, uh, is, is necessary. We must answer this question, just why are you sorry for your sins? I'm reading now. Just why are you sorry for your sins? Is it because drinking made you sick? That is a natural motive, and it has no relation to forgiveness. 
while the natural motives are good in themselves, they will never work for forgiveness. Thirdly, it must be universal. The act of contrition must include all of the mortal sins. One may never keep even one pet sin. Thus, if a person living in adultery is very sorry for his sins of eating meat on Fridays, but will not give up his sinful life of adultery, he cannot get rid of even one sin. This is huge, beloved. One either leaves all of his sins behind, or he keeps all of them for God's judgment at the moment of death. Unlike teeth, which when left alone will pass away, sins, however, when left alone will never pass away. What a comparison. And then fourth, it has it's supreme. When we say that the act of contrition must be supreme, we are saying that we must determine that we would rather die than commit a mortal sin. Listen to that, beloved. When we say that the act of contrition must be supreme, we are saying that we, we must determine that we would rather die than commit a mortal sin. We must hate mortal sin, venial sin too, if possible, but even more than death itself. Just think how careful we are about our lives. We avoid death at great sacrifices. A man will throw his possessions overboard to save his life. He will avoid the company of those who have a contagious sickness in order to save his life. In like manner, we must hate sin in the act of contrition as the greatest evil on earth. And finally, it needs to be intense. In the above form of contrition, we express this determination with the word detest. I might say that I do not like to eat spinach, however... I say that I detest eating rotten crow. In like manner, we do not say that we just do not like sin, but we detest it as we detest eating rotten crow. And then the purpose of amendment. There is a final element that is not mentioned in the qualities of the act of contrition, and that is the purpose of amendment. In practical speech, we make a division in regard to contrition and the purpose of amendment. However, there is no real distinction between the two, except the element of past and future. If one is sorry for his sins, he determines automatically not to sin again. Any time that person living in adultery is really sorry for his sins, he automatically leaves his sinful way of life. A person who is in bad company is not merely sorry for his sinful lifestyle, but he determines to give up one and all of his evil companions. Oh, and then the intention to confess. We're just about at the end of this, beloved. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to take your calls, your texts, and your emails, um, and I'll give you the number, but we're also going to finish these two very minor paragraphs left. Um, and the toll-free number to call in or text is one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back.
We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. The Catholic Current on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. These were the men and women of genius and heroism. We have to look at these men and women and see what it was in them that made them such giants of history. And we will discover that it was nothing other than the truths of eternal Catholicism. Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and we have a whole half hour to ourselves, and I'm going to take your calls and your emails and your texts, um, but I'm first going to finish um, the um, little article here on perfect contrition, the contrition we need if we are in a state of mortal sin and cannot get to confession before we die, then the way to be in heaven is to commit an act of perfect contrition, which is the interior, true godly sorrow of the heart. Um, And let's see now. uh, Intention to confess. um, Once one knows the divine law of confession, he must also determine... And what I'm reading, beloved, is from the website of catholicfirst.com under the title of Perfect Contrition. And I'll continue. We're almost at the bottom of this uh, good article. Once one knows the divine law of confession, he must also determine to confess all the mortal sins he has committed after baptism. To say that one is sorry without that intention to confess the sins when one has had the chance to do so is a false act of contrition. One must determine to obey all God's commandments. And one of those commandments is that one must confess 
all mortal sins committed after baptism to a duly authorized priest. If there is no priest to be had, then God accepts the will for the deed. He will not accept the will for the deed if there is a duly authorized priest available. Remember the act of perfect contrition always takes away all sins immediately. And for the act of contrition to be complete, one must fulfill all the obligations that follow from one's sins. A thief must return that which he has stolen. I've heard of people that have gone to confession, beloved, for theft or for other sins, and they say, well, I'm forgiven, that's that. No, it's not. Not if you don't make restitution. If you're truly sorry, you will restore what you have stolen. A thief must return that which he has stolen. Likewise, a person who has taken away the good name of another must do what he can to give that good name back again. When one has done all that he can in regard to the act of perfect contrition, he still does not have an infallible insurance, an infallible assurance that he has sanctifying grace. However, he can and should have moral certitude that he is in the state of sanctifying grace. He should rest his case in the merciful hands of God. And finally, um, when we make the act of perfect contrition, we should pay very close attention to every word in the form, and we are to make the acts that are required by the form. Never say, I pray the act of contrition. Do say, I make the act of contrition. When persons get married, they do not merely say a formula, but they make an act of the will to join themselves in matrimony. When a person makes vows in religion, he does not merely recite a formula, but he makes an act of the will expressed in words to embrace the religious life. In like manner, the act of contrition is an act by which one is sorry for past sins, and that sorrow extends into the future so that it also requires the purpose of amendment never to commit those sins or any sins for that matter in the future. So um, I do hope that will not burden anybody further, but free you uh, to truly be able to make an act of perfect contrition. And by the way, when we go to confession, even though we're with a priest, and therefore we're, we don't have to have all the elements of perfect contrition, of course it, we should. This would be an ideal godly sorrow, an ideal confession. But again, um, it could be an inferior confession because we fear the loss of hell and the, the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. It may not be because we love God with all our hearts and we hate offending him. It's still confession. We're still forgiven through a priest. But the act of perfect contrition has to be of a higher nature. We need to absolutely dread having offended God. Okay, we're going to go to our our uh, emails now. And um, we, we uh, in part, answered Sophia and Caroline yesterday from, Ca- from Canterbury in the UK who says, 
Um, my friend and I were having a chat over Sunday brunch, and we have a question to ask you for a better clarification. Today's gospel was the transfiguration. We were wondering where are the abouts of Enoch and Elijah. I've previously heard that they will come back as the two witnesses and that one will convert the Jews. Could you please explain more about them? May our Lord and his Immaculate Mother keep you always in their hearts. Sophie and Caroline, thank you, both of you, very much. Um, they are in heaven, and um, but they're not in their bodily form in heaven. Um, nobody in heaven and present is in their bodily form, because until the second coming and the general... Um, uh, judgment, we won't get our bodies in heaven. So when we die, our bodies decay in the earth and our spirits are in heaven with God. And God, uh, when we have apparitions, uh, God can unite us with a body uh, for that purpose as he did Elijah and um, and Enoch when they appeared, um, when they will appear again. Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Um, And Jesus said this prophecy at least was partially fulfilled in John the Baptist. Um, Let me see now. Um, um, And that Elijah uh, must first come and then the Messiah. Um, uh, so he will send Elijah the prophet. Now, we know that both Enoch and Elijah did not die. They went straight up. They were assumed before Our Lady. They were assumed into heaven, so they did not die. But again, they're not in their glorified bodies, not until the the final judgment. Um, Let's see now. Um, I'm trying to see... Um, they will prophesy during the tribulation period and not before it. Um, um, you, you need, it's too much to read, but you can go to Malachi, the whole book of Malachi, but particularly chapter 4, um, that um, Elijah is spoken of. Um, in any case, they it's, it's just too much here. Um uh, God's wrath will be appeased. There's so much in in Revelation as well. Um, but Enoch and Elijah were assumed into heaven. That's where they are now. And they will appear from heaven. Um, Our Lady appears from heaven. Others have appeared from heaven by God's grace um, in the will of God, as will Enoch and Elijah appear from heaven uh, at our Lord's second coming for sure or be actually before the second coming, and many people will be converted. That's our understanding, very briefly. Um, a, a wonderful book. Um, oh, no, let me see. I don't have it with me to give you the title. It was St. Therese of Lazur's favorite book, and it's called, I'll have to look it up during the next break, The End of the age or something like that it's a very good book and it it gives you the entire pattern of the end times um it'll be good to to uh, get that book i'll i'll have to look it up for you we have a facebook question of question from facebook from kelly who writes mother as a 45 year old man 
U.S. Army veteran, God bless you, Kelly, lifelong Catholic, pro-life activist, deacon and father of seven wonderful children. My goodness, who could have a better resume than that? I'm going to read that again. That's music. As a 45-year-old man, U.S. Army veteran, lifelong Catholic, pro-life activist, deacon and father of seven wonderful children, I find myself in disagreement with many other Catholics regarding President Trump and the upcoming election. I did not vote for Trump in 2016. I instead instead voted for a third-party candidate. I was and still am appalled at his treatment of his fellow man and his continued poor behavior in his personal dealings as president. Although I agree with many of his policies, especially his extensive pro-life action and his support of military personnel, I simply cannot condone his behavior as a person. One thing that really moves me to this position is my children. I have raised my kids to have respect for their fellow man and not to bully. How can I teach that and support a politician who does those things every day? I understand that no one is perfect, but I don't think the ends justify the means. Some people have said that Trump has changed, that he has converted to a Christian life. Well, no Christian I know treats people how Trump does. Christ taught people to love their enemies. Trump hates his enemies. I just wanted to voice my opinions and see what you think. Obviously, much more could be said, but what are your thoughts on these points? Kelly, to begin with, I agree with your thoughts 100%. And in an ideal world, I also would vote for an independent candidate who lives more Christian values. President Trump is not a Catholic. I don't know what form of Christian he is, but he has definitely, since uh, Vice President Trump, uh, uh, Vice President Trump, that's a combination of Trump and Pence, Vice President Pence um, is a fallen away Catholic and a non-Catholic Christian today. And he and the whole evangelical community, uh, it's, it appears, have greatly influenced President Trump so that, as has been said, he is the most pro-life president this country has ever had. And the reason I would vote for President Trump, and I'm not telling anybody who to vote for, I'm not making this a political uh, campaign here, but the point is that my voting would be to keep evil from having office. That would be the reason. So you can continue to be example before your children to vote for an independent candidate who truly lives the Christian life. That is just fine. Um, and, and your principle would be fine, but it's also a, a, a good uh, principle to vote against... Um, the against the greater evil if we don't vote for a certain candidate in fact um kelly 
I don't know when I last voted for a candidate. I don't think we've had a good candidate for president uh, almost since I'm alive. I don't know of one, a real good candidate for president. Uh, I grieve them all. But in every case, it was a fight against a great evil or a greater evil. And so I think that is a very good principle here. If we don't vote for someone like President Trump, we then, by our lack of voting for him, we are contributing, even though it's not our intention, but it is reality, to evil, to abortion, to every form of debauchery uh, ruling our country. You see, so you don't have to like a certain man to vote for him, but the lesser of two evils, I think, is a very good Christian practice without being a hypocrite. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is Jim Wright, President of the Station of the Cross. Our 2020 Spring Appeal is officially underway. Please consider a sacrificial donation to help us spread the gospel. The theme of our appeal is Changing Lives in 2020. In the coming weeks, you may receive a mailing that shows the great gifts you can receive as a Spring Appeal donor. You can also view the gifts by visiting thestationofthecross.com. Your generosity will help us develop our programming, expand our outreach efforts, and continue to grow. To support our mission, please call 1-877-711-8500, 1-877-711-8500, or go to thestationofthecross.com. Use the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or use a return envelope from one of our mailings. Your support will change lives in your community and beyond. Thank you, and may God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and we are taking your calls, your emails, your texts at this point. We have a 
oh, a full 10 minutes and the lines are wide open. If you have a call on your uh, matter on your heart, call in toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We're going to take an email from Jack in Massachusetts who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, Last evening, which was Sunday when he wrote this, I watched Vespers and Benediction on EWTN. I have never experienced such beautiful renditions of these services. Of course, the Benediction service ended with the Divine Praises, which I have heard and recited many times. Then I realized that the Divine Praises include, Divine in quotes, Praises include Mary, Joseph, and the angels and saints, none of whom are or were divine. Could you please explain this? Then he has a second question. Yes, isn't that funny? You said you've you've heard them many times and recited them many times. Isn't it funny how we can hear and recite things hundreds of times, and one day we actually hear them and we hear what we're saying? It's a wonderful grace from God. Yes, they're divine because we're thanking the divine for these things. They're the they're they're the, the praises of God for Mary and for Joseph and for the angels and the saints. They are divine praises. We're praising God for all these people that He's given us through whom our salvation has come and is still coming. So that's why we're praising God for them. We're not calling Mary, Joseph, the angels and saints divine. These divine praises, we're praising the divine one for all of these wonderful beings. And he says afterward, I watched Father Benedict Rochelle talking about the Apostles' Creed when he got to the phrase that Jesus, after his death and burial, rose, quote unquote, again from the dead. I was confused. This implies that Jesus previously risen, had previously risen from the dead, and he did it again. Could you please explain this? Yes. See, we know what I love about this, Jack, is you've been talking about this all your life. You've heard it all your life. But now you're first hearing in a deeper sense, and that's the grace of God on our heart, that we begin to go deep and really hear the things we've been saying and really begin to learn our faith, and then we can truly love it. Yes, to say that Jesus rose again does not mean that he rose a second time. It just means that he was alive again. He was buried and he rose Again, meaning that he, not the second time, but that he was alive again. Just as, uh, as another example, uh, when Matthew writes that, um, um, let's say, uh, that, that, um, uh, that Mary and Joseph, uh, I'd have to look it up exactly, uh, did not have relations um, until she gave birth to Jesus, something like that. I think it's Matthew one eighteen. I have to look it up. Until doesn't mean, therefore, they had relations after. Um, It doesn't mean that. It means they didn't have relations until that point. It didn't assume they had relations after. Uh, The example of uh, David's wife, Michal, in the Old Testament, uh, when God was chastening Michal for chastening King David, he said uh, she didn't have children until the day of her death. Well, she obviously didn't have children after her death. So sometimes um, the way we use words today, we assume they mean, uh, they go on to have meaning that they didn't have then. And so uh, that he rose again means that he rose 
um, that he was alive again. And that's basically what it's saying. It doesn't mean he rose before this. Okay, I, I hope that helps. It may not satisfy you, but, um, you know, when, again, that's why I brought in the word until, we assume it means certain things today in our usage that it would not have meant in the past. We have an email from Kelsey who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. Thank you so much for all you do. I love your show, and it is so great to hear God's voice through you. Well, that's a beautiful statement, Kelly. Uh, Kelsey, I'm... I'm Um, uh, That really does my heart good. Um, She says, I'm 27 years old and newly married. Blessed be God, Kelsey. Um, Also expecting our first child. Yay! I'm a cradle Catholic. However, it wasn't until I was about 23 that I really had a strong desire to explore my faith and cultivate a relationship to God. My high school and college years were filled with poor, poor choices. My question is regarding one of my younger brothers. He's 21 and is going through that phase in life where he's too cool for school. I remember these years clearly, so I try to understand that I was there too and was not perfect. But he blatantly disrespects our mother. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. He knows everything and carries himself in a manner with no humility. He hangs out with friends who do drugs and have relations with girls. I have found condoms countless times in his room. He drinks so much that he gets sick often. Even the way he talks just irritates me. I have tried to have heart-to-heart talks with him about life and what's important. I've shared my poor choices and how I've learned from them, hoping he will avoid those choices. But since then, I've given up and taken an attitude of disdain. Oh, don't do that. Never, ever give up, Kelsey. God didn't give up on you. He didn't give up on me. Don't ever give up. He's 21. You're 27 now. And you said until you were 23, you didn't have a desire to learn your deeper desire. So don't ever give up. Um, Since then, I've given up and taken an attitude of disdain. This has had a huge negative impact on my spiritual life and well-being. Of course it will. Of course it will, dear one. God would not never have you give up uh, and never have an attitude of disdain. Never, never, never. And Kelsey said it immediately takes over my mood when I visit my parents' house and he is there. Literally, I literally feel the worst part of me come out. I am constantly criticizing him and putting him down. Oy, have I got an answer for you, Kelsey? (laughs) I cannot keep this up. Blessed be God, you cannot. I know nothing good will come of this attitude. I have. I have reflected many times that if something tragic happened and that he was the last time I saw him, I would be so upset with myself. Please, please point me in the direction to what I can do to change my behavior and mindset I have about my brother. I love him and I want him to know that. I know that this is my problem, not his. Kelsey, dear one, here's your solution. Number one, go to confession and repent for your having given up and your disdain for your brother. Repent of that. That is not good. You need to repent. You need to be sorry. Why? Because God has saved you, not because you decided to get out of your bad ways, decided to grow deep in your faith. No, he simply poured his grace on you, poured his grace on you and caused you to change. And so 
you need to go to you need to repent before God and you need to go before him in the blessed sacrament and beg him for a heart of gratitude put your brother aside you need to beg God for a heart of gratitude for what he's done in your life because he changed your life around and he hasn't yet changed your brother's life around and why do you think he changed your life around first you're older than your brother and you could be his example and his pied piper to heaven from now on do not criticize your brother ever again only love him come beside him be his friend not supporting him in his sin but let him know how much you love him don't mention his lifestyle don't mention catholicism turn around your life and love him the way he is and it's going to change him and it's going to puzzle him and you're going to say what happened he's going to say to you what happened to you and you're going to say god happened to me he forgave me and changed me how could i not forgive you and love you as god in christ has loved and forgiven me that's your path kelsey god bless all of you and we'll speak with you tomorrow